Nathan uh, and Abe, I think, said young people, but those exhortations are not just for young people. <laughs> They're for everyone. It's not for young people only. Not to take away anything that they said, but I found that out. And you get to honor your parents your whole life long, as long as they're alive. So don't miss that opportunity. As long as your parents are alive, you can honor them. And uh, thank you for that reminder. Even though it, uh, it's the word of the Lord, it's not uh, any of our words. Well, turn to Second uh, Peter. I was engaged this week and uh, mostly in starting to read on the history of the Bible, more in depth uh, on the canon of Scripture, the, how it all came to be, when, and all the different circumstances surrounding it. Uh, I'm actually uh, enjoying it. <laughs> It's kind of like I could never understand Joseph or Deborah enjoying math, and just like to me, it was just yeah, torture. And uh, so, for those that yeah, struggle with maybe reading history and everything, you can be. It's kind of my like when the I, I set my alarm and I get in the office in the morning, and then I because I have to have a certain amount of time, and I'm usually always late. So I set my alarm and then kind of <clears throat> when it goes off, you know, kind of like, oh, I'd like to stay, but I got to go. <laughs> so that's uh, pray for me. I uh, don't just want it to be academic, and, uh, but it's all pushing towards one goal. And that's uh, knowing our Lord better and uh, doing his will. So we're in Second uh, Peter, trying to make some uh, headway. We're, we're not just going forward in the text, but we're trying to learn what's there, uh, apply it to our lives. So hope to get down to verse 11 of chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll read in at verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence, 
to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Today, it would seem to me, uh, in my uh, experience as a Christian in Christendom, when I say Christendom, those that would profess to believe the Bible, those that would profess to believe the gospel, that the emphasis by and large has or is on the forgiveness of sins. And when you hear somebody preaching the gospel, it's usually that, which is true, um, that Christ died for our sins according to, to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised to life. And being sure about your salvation, that's a real emphasis. And we would all say amen to that because those things are true. But what is not an emphasis is being a partaker of the divine nature and the implications of that. What does that actually look like in the life of the Christian? And of that, there is very little emphasis and a lot of excuse-making and um, and there just isn't... It's going so far, and that's it. And we need to, I need to, go further because it's available to all of us. It's, uh, we've heard about that. Martin preached about that uh, last week. But, um, and another thing that's usually overlooked in the zeal to make sure that we don't preach salvation by works, there is the downplaying of human effort uh, in the life of the Christian. And that is, you know, we're always pushing one thing or the other and we need to have perfect balance. It's like riding a bicycle. You don't want to go off on one side or the other. You need to be right down the middle Uh, of the road. That's what balance is all about. And it's like that with the Christian life. Yes, I cannot earn my salvation. It's impossible. And those that are trying um, will be rejected by God after a life of what to them would be faithful service. If they are not trusting in the Lord Jesus, they will be castaways. That is true. But what is also true is when you come into Christ Jesus by grace, that you have to give maximum effort. And that is, and if you don't, um, Peter's uh, words in verse 9 will come to pass in our lives. It's, it's inevitable. We can't go against um, what the scripture teaches. <clears throat> So in verse 5, Peter says, And besides this, giving all diligence. And then down in verse 10, he wraps up the passage, as it were. Wherefore, rather, brethren, give 
diligence. So this passage really is about us being diligent. And and, uh, all of us, I'm sure, can look back on our lives and think, I should have been more diligent here, I should have been more diligent there. And uh, yes, I can... In, in it, on many aspects of life, whether it's finances or whether it's uh, time. Uh, yeah, there's just so many, a whole host of things in our just organization in the home. It just goes on and on, depending on what realm of responsibility you've been given, mother, father, whatever it be, um, we can lack diligence. And so the Christian life, the prospering of it for you lies in your hands. And that may be to some being, what? No, it's all, um, yes, it's about you. God has done it all. He says that uh, in verse 3 and 4. But we have been given the task of being diligent with those things. And it's throughout the scripture. It's just Inmistakable. You cannot circumvent those things. But we usually think, well, you know, I'm a sinner and this and that. Uh, yes, but that's past. Now you're saints and you have been given to be partakers of the divine nature. And what are we going to do with that? It talks in the past tense, having, in English, a Participle, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You've escaped it. The things that once ruled your heart, lust, unbridled, unconquered, uh, the things that are active in, in the lives of those that don't know Christ, you've escaped that. The world is corrupted by lust. Lust for all kinds of things. Lust for money, lust for power, lust for uncleanness, lust for all kinds of things. Now, they make excuses for it and say, well, you know, the guy who's addicted to gambling, he's, you know, it's, uh, I forget all the terminology, the stuff that I've heard, but no, you had a lust for money, and that lust drove you to this, whether it's gambling in a casino or whether it's playing with lottery tickets. It's all the same stuff, and it leads people to ruin. It's not a physical addiction, per se, but it leads people in a certain way. They have a lust for it. Alcohol and drugs have a a more immediate physical implication. But it's all the same thing. And uh, people's lust for power will lead them to do kinds of things. Step on their other fellow employees and do them harm and stab them in the back and all kinds of stuff that goes on in the workplace. All of that is all corruption that enters into people's lives by lust. They have a lust for whatever it is. You fill in the blank. And you don't need counseling. You need repentance and faith, not to minimize people's suffering that they get into with all of these things. But the answer is the same, and Christ has provided it all. And we haven't escaped of our own doing. We've escaped by the grace of God. We can never um, 
forget that. And that's, that's the entryway in uh, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> but it is for us to be partakers uh, of the divine nature. Turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter nine. First Corinthians nine. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, the the person that was giving a sacrifice would come to the priest, and the priest would partake of the sacrifice, and so would the the person bringing it. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 13. It says, Do do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? So the priest um, was given a portion of that sacrifice for his own allotment, and he would eat it. Um, in a holy place, his disposition, his life, and uh, the priest would eat it in a holy place with holy hands. And the person that gave the sacrifice would also partake of it, whether it's the uh, Passover or whether it was some other kind of offering that was given, sin offering, or except the burnt offering was consumed whole, but all other offerings, there be a partaker. And that's what it is for us in spiritual things. We don't just partake in theory, but in reality. So when you don't see reality in your life, you don't think, well, I guess it just doesn't work for me. No. You need to press in harder, knowing that they are available by the grace of God. It's all by the grace of God. It isn't um, that by your bootstraps you're going to you know, make these things happen. No, it's all by the grace of God. It's available for all of us. And we uh, don't want to settle for anything less. But the scripture does start. We cannot uh, overlook this. Turn to Acts chapter... 13. Acts chapter 13 in uh, verse 38. <clears throat> Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that though this man is that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and that by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And then he goes on to warn them uh, if they don't believe. We can be justified from all things, whatever someone has done, and that is a hard pill to swallow, for people that are seeking to work their way to heaven. They just, um, yeah, everyone is willing to throw Hitler into hell, but certainly he's the standard. Um, And then anything less than that should get better treatment. (laughs) 
That's where people are at, usually. And uh, no, I remember ministering in prison to a man who said that the people that did me wrong, they should be cast into hell, but you know, I should get better treatment. That was his disposition. And he could not grasp that he had offended God as well. Like Nathan there, when he read that passage, <clears throat> the one before it says, cursed is that who makes an idol thing. Okay, yeah, that's really bad. That's got to do about God. But then it goes on to say, cursed is the man who curses his father and mother. Like the same treatment. And it goes on down all the way to the bottom, you shall not covet. Um, yeah, and speaking to people, they would like the big sins. Yeah, I get that, but the, the little sins, I remember talking on a sidewalk with Guy in Mississauga, and I got to the bottom, I said, yep, it says that the man that covets will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, what? Everyone does that. I said, yep, everyone does that. <laughs> and that's why you need Christ Jesus. And, but, yeah, in, in a place where you're kind of working your way there on your own, where God should be happy with your efforts, then it's just a stumbling block. And Acts 26. So, yes, we preach and believe that people must enter in, enter in through the narrow gate. And that gate is Christ Jesus. Acts uh, 26 and verse 18. Verse 17 for context. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's Jesus speaking to Paul um, that he had a vision of the Lord. So, yes, we preach without apology that salvation is by the grace of God through faith in our Lord Jesus, and that anyone seeking to earn their way to heaven, whatever system that might be, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or the Catholic Church or whatever other ism of Christianity, if that's your way in, then you will be cast away. But there's much more than that. So that is getting into the vestibule. Imagine if you went into a church building, and this one is pretty rudimentary, um, but there are some amazing structures if you go into other parts of the world and into cathedrals and everything. They're amazing structure. Imagine if you just got into the vestibule and thought, huh, this is nice. And then you walked out. And it's like, uh, no, no, like there's, there's way more. You know, it's not even the awe-inspiring part. You know, you walk in the vestibule here and you read the bulletin uh, that hasn't been changed for, you know, 10 years or whatever. And, well, this isn't much. And then you walked out. That's what it's like. If, imagine if you, as glorious as the forgiveness of sins is, there is more. <clears throat> 
There is more. And it's the entryway, but there is more. <clears throat> There's a goal in mind, and that's to be a partaker of the divine nature. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And there is a fountainhead that God gives us from which uh, we can draw. There's a well that, uh, as a song I used to listen to, there's a well that won't run dry. Romans 5 and verse 5, he says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It's not earned, it's given by your faith in the Lord Jesus. It's, it's all there. <clears throat> but that love is a love that is not, in some ways, your own, and yet it is, because it surpasses human capabilities. If we uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. And persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them that love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. Wow, can you imagine these self righteous Jews hearing that? If you just love your friends, then you're just like the publicans. And they were the most despised outcasts in Israel, thinking they were the bottom of the barrel. And when Jesus wanted to use the lowest of the low of sinners, he said a publican came into the temple and prayed at the back. So if all you can do is love people that love you, then your love is just like sinners. But... This is the love that he shed abroad in your hearts. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now that's fine to read. But it's a whole other thing when somebody does one of those things to you. And it goes, you know, kind of more severe. Starts by someone just cursing you. They don't bless you, they yell at you, scream at you, whatever. And then in your heart to feel, same to you, fella. But you can maybe keep that down. You can not say it. But in your heart, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, Lord, bless that person with salvation. Someone does you a wrong turn. Are you thinking, 
you're going to get yours. Or, Lord, save that man, save that woman. Do good to them that hate you. Those that continually show hatred towards you. What's, your, what's in your heart? And that's really the issue. And the Lord goes on. <clears throat> this is what God is like, <clears throat> that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He blesses all men with general blessings. And... If you love them which love you, what reward have you? And then he tells us, be perfect, therefore, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. It's impossible. The Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible in the flesh. And we have to have the grace of God. We have to have the Spirit of God. We have to have the love of God. And this is the Christian life. Therefore, he goes on, victory in suffering, victory over sin, and victory over the tongue is all possible for the Christian. And it is not presented as any other way. It is, uh, the Christian life is impossible in the flesh, and we need the Spirit of God to overcome all those things. And if you're a, a super disciplined person, perhaps you could get through on the outside, perhaps loving your enemies. And men have uh, the protests that are nonviolent and all such. That uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, yeah, he he overthrew the British, I believe, by non-violent protest. But in your hearts, are you wishing to bless others? As God is, who, when he is hated, he still wants to bless. Now, there is an end of that. That is true. But that's the disposition of God. When he is rebuffed, when he is hated, when he is rejected, and Christ Jesus is the personification of that. When on the cross he said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that is ours by birthright. So we've escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust to bring us into. Uh, The forgiveness of sins is the vestibule and then in off into the building, the beauty of all that God has provided. So that you can see working in your own life, the life of God, partaking of that divine nature. Turn to, uh, well, we better keep moving or else I'm not going to get done here. (laughs) Turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4 and verse 23. 
Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So the issue we talk about uh, being diligent in the Christian life is being diligent in your heart to reject thoughts that would come in, temptations, uh, things that would tend to want to dislodge the word of God in your heart and life. We need to reject those things. And that is where God gives us grace when we say no to this and yes to that. And that's where we all need to labor. That's what the writer in the Proverbs is. And this is under the Old Covenant where, you know, by effort. And it was all by the grace of God, too. But there wasn't the Spirit of God there to aid in that effort. Turn back to uh, to Second Peter. <clears throat> he says in verse five, "Besides this, giving all diligence, <clears throat> add to your faith." And then he begins virtue. So with all that God has done for you, and he's done it all, that's clear. He's provided you with salvation through Christ Jesus. He's given it unto us. It isn't that you have to work for it by effort or any of that. It's all been given, and we just have to enter into it. So giving diligence, there is the... I would say the human part of salvation and not ever losing sight that it isn't, yeah, your own efforts are fruitless, but it's all in the Holy Ghost. And, uh, but it does take effort, nonetheless. It's, it's just, again, one of those unescapable uh, realities. Let's turn to Galatians uh, 5.22. <clears throat> and virtue is um, the general um, category. Uh, Peter says that Christ has called us to glory and to virtue, a virtuous life. And these are virtues that are listed here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such things. There is no law. In my study of this, again, as I have warned others, that when you go on the internet and look up theological issues and whatever else you're there, there's a lot of junk on the internet, and you have to kind of sift through it. And I was reading this section, and, um, and I thought it was very good. But to be fair to the author, it was about the four cardinal virtues. And I was discussing that with Abe, and I since have changed my mind in what I've told Abe. Because I forget what he said. Something like, love's got to be one of them. Did you say that, brother? I can't remember, but I think it was kind of like that. 
And uh, so I since then have think, hmm, no, love has got to be number one. It's got to be. And when you read the scripture, love for God is the, the cardinal virtue. Love for man would be second, and then it goes on down the line. Virtues are those things which um, is produced by the Spirit of God, but is also available in the natural realm. And albeit skewed, albeit maybe tainted, but we still see it in uh, the natural realm. People can love their parents that don't know Christ. That's, they can love their wives, they can love their children, and, and they do. Uh, but it's all still in the natural realm. Part of what God has provided for, for us. But um, nonetheless, it's, um, love is number one. And love is both a gift that's shed abroad in your heart, and it is a virtue that you need to foster. And uh, the, the two are, yeah, they always run alongside each other. You can never think, oh, I'm just going to love this person if it kills me. <laughs> Isn't where it's at. But, oh, Lord, I know you love this person, and I need to love this person, too. And throw away all this thoughts of this or that. They did this to me and everything. Well, yeah, that's the context that Jesus is talking about. They did this to you and, yep, you still love them. No matter what you do to me, I'm going to love you. That's the disposition of God. If he went all the way to the cross and he still could say, hanging on the cross in the midst of his suffering, Father, forgive them. In the New Covenant, you see the saints crying out the exact same thing. Peter, or um, Stephen, when he's being crushed by those rocks, saying, Father, forgive them. Lay not the sin to their charge. It's all the same thought that was in this man's heart. Now, under the Old Covenant, it was different. I believe when Zechariah was, I can't remember, Zechariah, Zechariah, was stoned between in the temple. It said, the Lord look on it and requite it. That's happening after when the saints are in heaven and they're saying, how long, O Lord, to you avenge our blood on the earth? But on, in, on earth, we're crying out for forgiveness. That's what our blood would be crying out for, for forgiveness, not for retribution. And that is the love of God shed abroad in your heart. I don't know. When I read stories of Christians that have suffered horrible things and they had to resist the temptation to hate their enemies. And it was there, the temptation to hate someone that was harming your loved ones, killing your children. Can you imagine the temptation that you would have? But nonetheless, it's God has given such grace that we can. Uh, and if you hope in yourself, I don't know, I mean, have a hard time just loving the grumpy guy on the road. Um, but, yeah, God has given us so much more. <clears throat> so we are to, by diligence, in your hearts, reject those things that are not of God and receive those things that are. And... Uh, 
God will give us grace. The four cardinal virtues that are on operation in the world are listed as prudence, justice or righteousness, fortitude, and temperance. And prudence would be the ability to judge what's right and wrong in any given circumstance and then act on it. Justice would be, okay, I I got to give this person what's right. Acting rightly. You decide uh, by prudence that I need to take this certain action and then if it's a matter of justice, then you would have to decide, okay, I need to do this. And then fortitude would be the courage, the inner strength to carry through on that action in the midst of opposition. And I use the example. It hasn't happened, but Abe is asked to lie at work. And immediately there would be a temptation to think, oh, I've worked here for how long? Over 25 years. I got seniority, I got this and that, and my family's depending on me. I'm just postulating, but I could just see how that would fear start going through your mind. Oh, what about this and everything? So, a virtue. Abe's decided I need to make the right decision. I can't. I can't do this. What they're asking me to do. Fortitude would be the virtue, the grace to carry through on that conviction. I'm not going to do it, regardless of what happens. Courage, fortitude, those are virtues, and they all need to be uh, fostered in the grace of God. Not just human courage, but courage to do that which is right. Add to your faith, virtue, and you're going to get opportunities in your life, believe me. Uh, Years ago, I think it was 2015, I was working on a project with my son, And I was right in the middle of it. I don't know how I didn't notice before, but I was working on this door, and I realized that the door profile, the rail on the door, was not the same measurement that I gave to the customer. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like halfway into this. I had $10,000 worth of doors in my shop that I'd been working on. $10,000. And I realized just, I don't know if you've had those type of things, just, and realized it's not the right profile. Um, So I called up my boss, and he says, um, what did he say? Don't tell them. He said, just carry on as if. I said, well, what if they ask me later when I get the whole thing there and it's all done? And he said, well, they won't. I said, well, what if they did? And then I, I would just have to pretend that I didn't know. And I can't do that because I did know. <laughs> and so I walked out in my yard and I said, God, you know this. <laughs> Seems like a foolish thing, but it was my oversight. I should have caught it, even though it was a mistake of the manufacturer, and they should have caught it, but I, and I didn't catch it, and it was, just, I, it was there, and I said, Lord, I just want to do the right thing. So 
I called the customer and I told them. And they said, take a picture of the door and send it to us. So I brought it into my kitchen. I put it on the, in front of the fridge. I took a picture of it. And I waited for what they would say. And I thought, if she said, well, yeah, this is what you originally offered us. And we, we, have, to, we have to have that. They could have said that. And I would have had no... So I would have been 10,000 bucks in the hole already before I'd even gone anywhere. And then she sent back, it'll be fine. She says, thank you for your honesty. <laughs> she could have even said the other, uh, yeah, you promised us this and this is not work. But wow, that was a real test for me and those tests will not stop for you Um, and it'll take you by surprise that took me by surprise so God has called us to glory and to virtue and these things we need to foster in our life Seek counsel. And, yeah, know that perhaps our judgment isn't always right and we need to seek counsel. And Peter goes on. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. So knowledge, not just knowledge in general, but knowledge uh, about God. Which one can we... um, We'll go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 and verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So you see that the the love is just never going to leave you. That's just a thing that's constant. But it has to abound in the knowledge of God. But that's really what you're seeking to abound, that your love may abound more in knowledge. Knowledge about God. Get to know God better. And as you experience things in life, through difficulties, through trials, through tribulations, then you'll know what your Father is like. And you can trust Him. You can trust Him at the beginning, but you'll have opportunity to trust Him. Uh, more and more. And so where do you get knowledge? You get knowledge from the scriptures. So where do you... You need to be diligent to read the scriptures. And no matter how well you know the scriptures, you can know it still more until you've memorized it. And then when you've memorized it, then you need to practice it. (laughs) 
You could memorize the entire Bible, and if you didn't practice it, it would be useless. So, yeah, if you think you've arrived, then... And I, I don't know about you, but I'm a long way from memorizing the Bible. <laughs> and, uh, but you read it. You read uh, not just to turn your bookmark forward, but to get to know God better and to know his word. So that when you're in a difficulty, you can bring to mind the word of God. The Spirit of God will bring to your mind the Word of God, but if, you don't, if you're not diligent to read it, then he can't bring it. And that is something that, uh, as Jake Dreger said, God is not going to come down and read your Bible for you. You have to do it yourself. So that's when wasting time, things that don't really matter, things that do matter but they're less important, they're, they're all decisions that we all have to make. But certainly wasting time, and there is plenty of opportunity to do that, especially in the realm of now with cell phones and television and all the things that confront this generation. It just wasn't a thing 150 years ago and for the history of the world. But people did waste time, and nonetheless, we, are, we need to be applying ourselves <clears throat> So add to knowledge, temperance. Temperance is the practice or habit of restraining one's self in provocation, in passion, in desire, and in anger, etc. You could put in just any kind of thing that the flesh would come up with, whether it's a desire for food, whether it's a desire for sleep, sometimes, sometimes you need sleep, but you need food too. But you can go one way or the other. And temperance is the grace to avoid excess. The avoidance of excess in eating and drinking and sleep and recreation, etc. And we all are confronted uh, by those things. So temperance is self-regulation. But for the Christian, it is uh, by the grace of God. But nonetheless, you still have to restrain uh, what might be yeah, harmful. And God has given us things in measure, but um, we uh, can be uh, given to intemperance, whatever that might be. And you can fill in the blank, some things are greater temptations to one person or the other. Turn to First uh, Corinthians nine. First Corinthians nine. And the whole matter of temperance. <clears throat> Verse twenty-five. <clears throat> in verse twenty-four, for context, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for masteries, this would be a runner, is temperate in all things. You're not eating cheeseburgers and getting, you know, winning the 100-yard dash in the Olympics. It's just, you need to be temperate, leaving illegal drugs and everything aside. But you have to be temperate for a long time. You have to be disciplined. No French fries at McDonald's for you if you're running the race. It's just, sorry. 
<laughs> and this is your life before you, temperance in all things, whatever it might be. And it's all a whole big package deal trying to bring your life into a place of temperance. Not in bondage, but in temperance. And not us pointing the finger. I got enough to deal with myself. I'm not be pointing the finger at anybody else. I got enough to deal with just looking after me. And we all should be the same. Encourage one another, but not, yeah, finger pointing and etc. So here's Paul's illustration um, about a runner and then applying that to the Christian life in regards to being temperate in this uh, context about food and about, yeah, just going and eating in an idol's temple and the implications that that had in the church of God then. Now, he talks about other things in the passage, but that is really where he is headed. And he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertain, so fight as not one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. (laughs) Through lack of diligence, you can really ruin your life. That's your Christian life. And he talks about being temperate, keeping under his body, not letting, he's not going to be ruled by his body. He's going to have the mastery of it. And he likens that to the person that's just running, let's just say, in the Olympics. Temperance is, yeah, one of those virtues that we need to foster. It never goes away. We need to continue to foster that. Back to uh, Second Peter. <clears throat> so once you have that down pat, once you have uh, knowledge and temperance down pat, you go on to godliness. <clears throat> I don't believe he's presenting it that way, but that he's, he's laying it up like these are all things you're working on at the same time. You're adding to your faith. <clears throat> so to patience... Godliness, or to temperance, and to temperance, patience. I look up words that I think I know the definition, (laughs) but uh, this was one of them. And I was convicted by the definition out of the dictionary. (laughs) It's, It's very, I find it very convicting. Patience is the suffering or enduring of pain, trouble, and evil with calmness and composure, forbearance under provocation of any kind, especially bearing with others their faults and limitations. Wow, I just was... How far short I fall of that. Bearing... Any, doesn't say any provocation. Because often, yeah, if you're provoked, you think, I'll give you, I'll cut myself some slack. No, (laughs) I can't cut myself some slack. 
and I need to constantly come back. No, regardless of what this, the other person is doing, I need to be acting godly. Just, I not don't just need to be acting godly. I need to have that on the inside. I got work to do, Lord. Give me grace. Not give me grit. No. I mean, grit, yeah, sure. But give me grace is our prayer. <clears throat> so far to go. So without getting discouraged about where you're at or where I'm at, we're pressing on toward the upward call of God. There's no laying down. John Bunyan said, those that would go to heaven must, what? Run. (laughs) Run. We're not going to lay down. (laughs) And if you're weary, say, Lord, give me grace. Give me grace to run. That's what Paul talked about. Those that would run. Now the scripture uses many other metaphors, walking, etc. But it's all a metaphor. Yeah, whether it's war, whether it's running, walking, we all need to be moving forward. Patience. So we just, after we have all those other things, we add patience. Patience is the ability to endure pain, suffering, or mistreatment by the grace of God. Godliness. Verse 6 to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience. Godliness. Godliness is the quality or practice of conforming one's life to God's laws or standards. That's, that is it. Conforming one's life. Um, turn to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. First Timothy four and verse six. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up on the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, he's not talking about working out on the treadmill there. He's talking about religious exercise of the body, and he said those things are vain. Speaking of Jewish uh, exercise in religious things. Now, we know that exercise, physical exercise, is good for us, but it doesn't profit in the life to come. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Nathan read those 
commandments, it says that you might live long on the earth. That's a promise for now. It isn't just for the by and by. Honor your parents is a promise that you might live long on the earth now and in the life to come. Blessing of God. So godliness, exercise yourself. Paul says to Timothy, exercise yourself to godliness. Don't be happy with, oh, I got this particular problem. Everyone else has it too, so I'm good. No, cut that off. Cut it off and say, just because everyone else is doing it, don't think that you have to fail there too. Lord, give me grace to go on. Turn back to 2 Peter. Moving along into godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. He ends with love. Brotherly kindness, sympathetic, considerate, generous, and tender. That would be towards brother or sister. That's what brotherly kindness is. Seems rather rudimentary, but nonetheless, that's what we're striving for. Love, as we said at the beginning, is greatest virtue. He puts it at the end of the list. I don't think he's prioritizing one over the other, but love is the greatest commandment and virtue. It's both. It takes effort, and it is a gift of God. Love is the quality or state of the soul which issues forth in the feelings of warm affection, kind speech, sacrificial actions, regardless of how such things are received. That's my own definition. I didn't get that out of the dictionary, just so you go look it up and think, hey, that doesn't say that there. Um, the quality or state of the soul which issues forth in feelings of warm affection, kind speech, sacrificial actions, regardless of how such things are received. That's where it gets difficult. Now, we, I love lots of people that love me back. So it isn't that it's all about people throwing stones. You love your wife, she loves you back. My wife loves me. So it isn't, yeah, it's not that, okay, we're all having to love the guy that's you know, scratching our cars as we're in here in the service. But if that did come about, then, yeah, we're not saying, I'll get you. I'm going to go key your car in the driveway. You wouldn't, yeah, we'd think, oh, that's, that's not happening. But yeah, just in your heart thinking, jerk. No. <laughs> Cast that away. Lord, give me love for this person. <clears throat> Verse 8. <clears throat> We're running. <clears throat> For if these things if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if it depends on you, your diligence. 
with the grace of God. I can never repeat that enough. So you're seeking to be uh, adding to these, adding to your life those things. And there's many others, but he just ends at that. So they make you neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you're doing those things, you will be fruitful in the sense that you're going to see others come to Christ. Because you'll be an attractive person. I'm not talking about outward. I'm talking about you'll be, people will wonder, what makes that person tick? And you will be in a place where God will give you opportunity. It'll be on your mind because that's God's heart. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. So through lack of diligence, we can, uh, we can lack these things. But he doesn't just cast the person to the dogs. He says, you're, you're blind. You, you can't see. And that word, or the, the group of words there, cannot see afar off, is one word in the Greek. Pardon me for saying that. Um, I think it's the word myopia from which we get myopathy, which is short-sightedness. Someone that can't see afar off. I can remember this guy in grade, grade school. He had to use a little telescope to see the board. He couldn't see afar off. As we called it, he had Coke bottle bottom glasses. And that was his uh, trial. So we don't want to be like that spiritually. We want to be able to see here and afar off. And how far is afar off? How far are we looking? Into eternity. And if you don't, if you can't see that far, and you're seeing by the grace of God, by faith, you're looking into eternity thinking, Lord, this is where I'm headed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Uh, I forget the name of the guy, but he said he was so joyful when he got saved. He said he lifted one foot and it said hallelujah, and he lifted the other and it said amen. He was just on the top of the world. But you'll find that life... You know, it tends to dampen that spirit and you have to continue to uh, press on. Press on. So you can forget, if you're not diligent, that you've been purged from your old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence. So that can happen if you're not, but he says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if these things, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. What does he say? It doesn't if you think these things, if you do these things. It's true in your life. And we all, I know our hearts are all to go on with, with God. And here it goes into eternity. This is how far we're looking. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. I don't think there's any, when you're looking forward to seeing somebody after a long time away, imagine you get out of a gate in an airplane and there isn't one person there. You just walk and it's a lonely terminal. It isn't going to be like that coming into heaven. It seems to me it's going to be a an abundant entrance, <clears throat> and we want to have this as our, yeah, to look back on. 
we're diligent to show ourselves, uh, make your calling. It's something you want to do. Make your calling and election sure. Martin, you want to pray for us, brother?